it is encouraging to me every time that I see you. You know, sometimes I, um, I don't know how many of you know this, but sometimes I, I tend to be a little bit depressive and uh, introspective and navel-gazing. And uh, then I get to church on Sunday morning, and I see all of you, and I'm encouraged. And uh, your, my relationship with you bless me. They really do. And, um, and you need to know that, that, uh, that I'm blessed to be in your presence and to, know, and to, and to be with and to know all of you. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 18, which is about Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, coming for a visit. Uh, you know, a lot of times as you're reading your Bible, uh, particularly in a book like Exodus, as you read along, you know, Exodus has got a lot of exciting stuff that happens, right? You've got the staff into the snake, you've got the hand inside the coat, and you get leprosy, and you stick it back inside, you get healed. You've got the ten plagues, you've got the Red Sea crossing, you've got quail flying in and landing around your tent, you've got manna from heaven, you've got the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, you've got all this exciting stuff. And as you read the scriptures, and as you read the book of Exodus, it sometimes seems like, well, this is what the Christian life, or this is what life in a relationship with God is really like. It's like moving from one miraculous intervention of God to another, and that the way that the normal life with God works is that whatever I need, well, God is right there providing it, and He's just one miraculous event after another, after another, after another. And um, one powerful demonstration of God's power uh, day after day after day. Uh, but if you've known the Lord for a while, what you know is, is that that is not the norm. Amen? Uh, it's not that God does not choose anymore to work in these kind of undeniable undeniable or powerful or obvious ways, he sometimes does. But they are not the norm, amen? In fact, normally the way that God chooses to work is in very ordinary, very mundane, very common, small ways to accomplish his plans and purposes. And I think that we have this story here in Exodus chapter 18, of just, a, just kind of a mundane, ordinary meeting between a man and his father-in-law that God nevertheless uses to accomplish part of his plan for the people of Israel and to accomplish the salvation of Jethro. Uh, things that you don't see this necessarily coming, but nevertheless, God is working. And God is at work in ordinary visits with your family, and he is at work in the spectacular and amazing, like the Red Sea crossing. Uh, God is at work in the mundane as well as the extraordinary. So if you're not there yet, I want you to join me in Exodus chapter 18, and follow along here as I read if you want. Uh, Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. 
The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he had sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they, each, and, they, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, as this chapter opens, uh, the people of Israel have just, uh, have just had two things happen to them. They've just drunk water from the rock at Horeb, and they have just had uh, this battle with the nation of Amalek uh, that they have been victorious in uh, through God's power. Uh, they are in this place called, they're at the mountain of God at Horeb, uh, which is the same place where uh, Moses initially met the Lord at the burning bush. It also is somewhere in the land of Midian, which is somewhere near or in modern-day Saudi Arabia. And it is uh, also the place where Moses fled to from Egypt. At the beginning of Exodus, you remember, Moses kills a guy, and he has to flee from Egypt for his life, and so he goes to Midian. And when he gets there... He meets Jethro, and he meets Zipporah, the woman who becomes his wife. And so this area around Horeb is home, if you will. And since they're in the neighborhood, Moses had sent Zipporah with their sons uh, home to, to their father, Jethro, her father Jethro for a visit. And during that, Jethro had heard all about all the things that had happened in Egypt. Now, you may remember the last time that Jethro saw Moses, what Moses was doing for him was uh, taking care of Jethro's sheep. And he said, look, I'm going to go back to Egypt, and I'm going to look at, into my, the welfare of my people and see how they are. About a year, maybe a year and a half, two years have gone by since their last uh, meeting together. And so now... Jethro's getting this report. You not only went and checked out how your people were doing, you took all of them out of the nation of Egypt. And God has been with you in a miraculous display of his power and bringing all of that to pass. And, uh, and so Moses, and, uh, Moses has sent his family to go see their family, and they're on their way back. And uh, so Jethro sends word ahead that he's coming. Uh, just as an aside, if you are an in-law, always a good idea to let your family know you're coming. All right? <laughs> uh, nonetheless, 
Um, they, he is on the way, and so Moses, when he, when he sees him, he goes out to greet him. Now, this is a very interesting little thing here. Think about this. Now, last I saw Moses, he was my shepherd, chief shepherd over my flock. He was my father, you know, he was, he was, kind, of a, he was kind of a no account, you know. He was a guy that kind of wandered in off the desert, literally. And, uh, well, we've got to give the guy a job if he's going to be married to my daughter, so I guess we'll put him in charge of the sheep. And then Moses leaves, and now he's become the leader of the nation. This whole vast group of folks are now under Moses' leadership. Now, in the Middle East, if you are a man of honor, you sit and you wait for your guests to come in. But if you want to honor them, you go out and you greet them. If you're a person of high status, you don't hustle out to go greet people coming to see you. You wait for them. Like, if you were, if you were the, Moses is essentially, in some ways, the king of the nation of Israel at this point. And so he has become a man of high status. He's the prophet of God. But what's he do? He goes out his father-in-law and when he gets to him what does he do he bows down in front of him he's showing great respect and then he kisses him now i think that's a little weird evidently in middle eastern culture that's still that's still done that if you are part of the same family you will kiss each other uh in in uh, certain uh in certain uh eastern european cultures even adult men will kiss each other on the mouth. Um, we're not going to adopt that here, all right? <laughs> but, uh, but nevertheless, um, this is part of showing respect, and they have this, this kind of Middle Eastern greeting that they do. Oh, and how are you, my brother? And yes, how are you? And all, you know, and this kind of this elaborate ceremony of, of being reunited. And then they go into the tent. And, uh, and Moses has already demonstrated one of the two components of very successful evangelism. He has been very loving and very respectful. And, and you need to know that priest of Midian is not like Levite priest. This is pagan priest. The Midianites were a, a pagan group of people. They worshipped a variety of deities, and, and Jethro was one of the guys who is leading part of the people of Midian in pagan worship. And yet Moses is very loving toward him. He doesn't say, you know, I got it figured out here. I went to the burning bush, I met the real God, and all the stuff you've been doing, you know, that's really not so much. Um, what he does do is he tells him, He's very loving, but he's also about to be very truthful as they go into the tent. You've got to be loving, and you've got to be truthful. You've got to tell people the good news about what God has done in your life. And that's what Moses does. He proceeds to tell him the whole story. He gives him, he's been very loving, and now he's going to be very truthful. He's going to tell him, look, let me tell you about all that God has done about how, what, all that God has done for me and about all that God has done for the nation. And he lays out the whole story from the very beginning 
all the way up to right now, he tells Jethro the whole business. And he says, can you believe all that God has accomplished for us? And Jethro becomes a believer in the one true God. And you can see it. Uh, Verse 9 tells us, okay, verse 9, you look at it, it says, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And verses 10 and 11 give us a sample of the content of Jethro's praise to God. If you look at it here, he says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Now, there's some things I want you to notice here. about This is Jethro making his confession of faith. Uh, first, notice Jethro's joy. The text says that he rejoiced over all the good things that the Lord had done. When, uh, when Jethro heard the story of salvation, his heart was filled with joy. And that's what happens when an unbeliever finally hears and believes the good news about what God has done to bring salvation to his people. Their hearts are all of a sudden filled with joy when they believe. Second thing I want you to notice is his faith. It is not blind faith. It's not a leap in the dark. It's based on the historical facts of God's deliverance and redemption of God's people. And he looks at, um, he looks at, and he hears about all that God has done. And in fact, he can see all around him all these people that are former slaves that now are free. And he hears the story of how that happened, and he believes, not on the basis of of uh, of just Moses' testimony, but also on the basis of historical facts that are observable, that are that are um, accessible to him. And he believes. And he begins to uh, notice also uh, Jethro has begun to see himself as part of the people of God, which is why he uses the, the word translated in your Bible there in verse 10, the word Lord. Uh, it's all capital letters in your Bible, or it should be, because it's the covenant name. It's the divine name Yahweh. It's the name that God reveals himself to Moses uh, at the burning bush with. It's the name that God uses over and over in the book of Exodus. It says that people might know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, that I am the God who makes and establishes a covenant with you, the God who loves you, the God who redeems you, Yahweh. And God uh, has revealed himself that way to Jethro as he and Moses are sitting talking in a tent. And so then Jethro begins to refer to God as Yahweh. He has become a believer. And he says, verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Before this, he worshipped a variety of deities, but now he has acknowledged God's supremacy. And he says, you know what? Before, I worshipped a lot of different things. But now I know 
that God and Him alone is supreme, and I'm going to worship Him. And notice also Jethro's praise. You can see his joy, his faith, his understanding, and now his praise. He says, blessed be the Lord who delivered you. He's praising God for what he has done. And he's also praising God for who he is. Verse 11. Uh, In this affair they dealt arrogantly with all the people, and I know that the Lord is greater, therefore, than all the gods, because he did this. So he's praising God for who he is, praising God for what he's done, and real faith produces both worship and fellowship. And that's what it produces in Jethro's life. Um, at the end of the at the end of this section of the chapter here, what do you see? He's worshiping God, but he's also engaged in communion with God's people. He's entered into the fellowship of God's people. He offers sacrifices in worship to God, and then he is with God's people, and they're having a meal together, and they're building relationships, and they're having fellowship with the elders and Aaron and. All of the people, all the leaders of Israel are now embracing him as part of the community. Uh, By the way, let me just, as an aside here, give you a word of pastoral encouragement or admonition. Take it as as needed, okay? Um, When you really are in a growing relationship with God, these same two characteristics are part of your life. Worship of the one true God and communion with his people. Not just the taking of communion, as we're going to do here in a little bit, but I'm talking about fellowship with his people, that you have a desire to do both. That you have a desire to be with God's people and to worship God as an aspect of that. And I don't know if you know this or not, but some of us uh, sometimes neglect the second part of that. We believe in God and we walk with Him and we worship Him, but the fellowship with God's people sometimes falls to the wayside. And if I can meddle just a little bit, sometimes it falls behind things of much less importance, like sports or like catching up on sleep or reading the newspaper even. And yet that ought not be. If your relationship with God is to grow, you have to not only worship God, but you have to be with his people. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, Let's move on here uh, to reorganizing Israel. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said... What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, For the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. 
You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but in any small matter they decided themselves. And then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So try to imagine this scene. Thousands and thousands of people all standing around trying to get an audience with one guy who's going to settle their disputes. And, God, and uh, Moses is sitting, dispensing God's justice as the first and last and only court in the whole nation of all these thousands of people. Imagine, uh, imagine this, okay? Imagine that in the entire state of Illinois, that south of 80... There is one DMV office with one person behind the counter. Now, when I go to the DMV, okay, it is always prison escapee day, okay, and there are, there are some on both sides of the counter, it seems, okay, and it is always an inefficient, gnarly mess, and I never have what I'm supposed to have to get what I need, Right? No trip to the D. It's, going to the DMV for me is like going to the hardware store. There's no such thing as one trip, right? You're doing a project around the house. You're going to be at Menards three times. You don't know to buy what, but you're going to be there three times, right? Same thing with the DMV. You're going to be there three times by the time you get to get your paperwork done, right? Well, no, you needed uh, uh, you needed your passport from uh, 1972. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't know I needed that. Maybe you might tell me that before I go back another time. Well, whatever. Okay, but just imagine that, that in the entire state, of all these hundreds of thousands of people, you've got one person that you all need to see. And that is kind of the mess that Moses is in. Everybody's got their issues. Everybody needs to get a word from the Lord and Moses is the only guy that they can talk to. And Jethro is watching Moses at the beginning of the day take his seat, and he sees him sit down, and then there's just a line of people, like back to Abraham, you know, from there, <laughs> okay, trying to get justice and trying to get their disputes heard and trying to get their, their, an understanding of what they're supposed to do. And there are lots and lots and lots of people who all need a chunk of his time. Now, imagine this. There are, uh, I went through the church directory this week to figure, out, figure this number out. 
There are about 220 of us that regularly attend the church and are in the church directory. Okay, that may surprise you. Surprised me. Uh, but um, if I wanted to go to lunch with a different person every day, so that I could have one hour personally with every person in our church, it would take me 11 months, five days a week, going to lunch to get one hour with every person in our in in our church. Okay, if I had a one-hour meeting, eight hours a day, five days a week, with everybody in our church directory, it would take me five and a half weeks to get from uh, A to Z. Okay, uh, From Alvarez to Yoakum is a long list, right? And, um, and that is probably not an efficient way of going, right? And so God uses Jethro's wisdom and uses... Jethro to um, to give Moses some godly advice, and he says, "Look, Moses, you're going to have to share the burden here. You're going to have to spread this out. Let me give you some management 101. You're going to have to disperse and and share the load of leadership and responsibility. And you're going to have to give authority and responsibility to more people than just you." Moses, there's no such thing as one indispensable leader. That's true, by the way. There's no such thing as one indispensable leader. And you've got to have a diversity of people that are helping you out, Moses, because otherwise, uh, not only will you burn out, but so will they. This is not only not good for Moses, this is not good for the people either. Imagine if you were in the back of the line, I got to go see Moses. Wow. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's only, well, you know, take heart. There's only 50,000 people in line ahead of you. <laughs> right? Uh, this would be a problem. Well, we'll probably get to you uh, in about six months. Okay. You know, I just can't imagine, right? And so he says, look, here's what you've got to do. You've got to identify some men. And he gives him some characteristics that are really good. Um, he's an astute and wise fellow. And so he offers him a solution. The first thing he says is, look, Moses, your job is to instruct everybody. You're to teach them. You're to mediate between them and God. And you're to teach everybody what God's word says. And so then you're able to take from the group some instructed people who understand what God's Word says. So that's the first characteristic. When you're looking to, to, to disperse leadership among the people of God, you've got to look for, first of all, instructed men. Instructed men who understand what God's Word says and who are able, therefore, to apply it to other people in their situation. The next characteristic he says is, I want you to look for able men. Able men. Uh, these were men with a level of gifting and ability to lead. Well, how do I know that's true? Well, first of all, he says, look for able men. But you know what a leader is? Simplest definition 
I've ever heard is in Webster's Dictionary. This is profound. It'll blow your hair back. Ready? A leader. You want to write this down. A leader is one who leads. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A leader is one who leads, right? And, And so he says, look, look for guys that are already providing some measure of leadership and get them. That's how you know if they're able. Look for people who already... Have, have, have done something to provide leadership to other people and get those guys, get able men. Um, in addition, these men were to be from all the people. If you, if you look at the text here, it says that. All the people. Um, they weren't just Moses' friends, in other words. He didn't say, Moses, go get your cronies. Uh, Moses, go get the people from your tribe. Go get just the guys you like. Go get the guys that are just like you. He said, get people from, get men from all the people, from across the, across the spectrum. Get Levites and Reubenites and Gadites and Manassites and Ephraimites and get, them all, get all different types of people. Uh, and get them according to their ability. Um, they're to be not just the money guys, not just the guys with the highest social standing, but from everybody. Uh, doctors and transmission specialists. Accountants and fence builders. You know, all kinds of different kinds of guys, right? Um, and there were to be men who also... Fear the Lord. Why is that important? Well, number one, it's important because uh, leadership requires wisdom. Amen? If you're going to be a leader, you need to have some wisdom beyond the people you lead. And Moses knows, and Jethro knows also what is true, that the fear of the Lord, Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be a wise man, you need to know God's word, and you need to know God. And as you fear Him, you will have some wisdom that goes beyond you. Most of us are not smart enough to be able to figure life out, but if we have God's word, we have wisdom that is from above. And in addition to that, uh, fearing God means being willing to do what is right to please the Lord. Because you are more concerned about his approval than the approval of other people that you lead. Amen? If you're involved in leadership at at any level, one of the things that is going to happen, I'll make you a prediction that has a 100% success rate, that if you're in leadership at any level, what will happen is, is that eventually, sooner or later, you will make a decision that the people following you do not like that they will have objections to, that they will therefore uh, grumble against you about. And so you need men who fear God because you need men who can take it because they are more concerned about God's approval than the approval of the people they lead. Amen? And if you don't have that, you're going to have trouble. 
Uh, they were also trustworthy men, men you could count on to follow through on their commitments. You ever known anybody who can't follow through? You ask them to do something, oh yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll make it happen, and that comes and goes. And it's like, well, uh, where was Bob on that one, you know? Where was, where was Jim? I don't have anybody in particular, I'm not naming names. <laughs> okay, just using examples of names, okay? Um, people who are trustworthy, people who are trustworthy, have to be able to follow you have to be able to count on this person to do uh, to do what they have committed to right and they also have to be men of integrity men who hate a bribe is what is how that characteristic is described uh, if you want real justice it has to be no respecter of persons right it can't be dependent on your identity what kind of treatment you get by the way, that's not the way our justice system in this country works, is it? At least not often. If you're, a lot of times, if you're either a sympathetic victim or a rich perpetrator, you uh, get different treatment than if you are less sympathetic or poor. Right? Jethro tells Moses, you get men of integrity. You get men who can't be swayed based on the identity of the person who stands before them. And Moses did this. He did just exactly as Jethro said. Uh, God was with him, and he did direct Moses to the right kind of men for each group of people. They had some guys who were capable leaders of, small, of a small group, maybe ten people. And he had some that were capable of leading a little bigger group, group of fifties. Groups of hundreds, groups of thousands. And according to their capability and according to their gifting, they were assigned a role. And this did a couple of things. All the people were satisfied because, hey, I may not have had to talk to Moses or gotten to talk to Moses, but I got my problem solved today versus six months from now. And they got heard and they got justice and everybody... Uh, including Moses, was able to go home in peace. He only had to deal with a relatively small number of issues. And then in addition to that, one of the other things that it did for the people was it put in place a structure not only of government, but of raising up leaders from among the whole group who would then lead the nation and a, and a way of, of raising up folks for the next generation, Right? So that you could move up in leadership. Now, here's the point of this whole passage. That God uses ordinary means, very ordinary means, to save and bless his people. He used Moses and a family reunion to bring salvation to a pagan priest, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. He used Jethro's suggestion to Moses regarding organizational structure to identify and raise up a new generation of leaders to ensure that his people were led, to ensure that they were taught, to ensure that they were, their needs were cared for and met. And he didn't use, notice, supermen, uh, super amazing miracles to do this. He used ordinary guys doing ordinary things with ordinary people 
to accomplish his extraordinary purposes of bringing glory to himself and good for his people. Right? And that is one really important thing that God is teaching us in this text, that he uses ordinary means, ordinary people, ordinary circumstances to save and bless. A couple other things I want to draw your attention to as I wrap up here. Um, Number one, and this is really important, share the good news with your family. Share the good news with your family. The fact is, very often, your family are the people with whom it is most difficult to tell what God has done in your life. Because they remember, just like Jethro remembered, what Moses was like before. Moses, remember, you were the murdering guy who was on the run in the desert and had to kind of take up with me as kind of a last resort. And now you're telling me about all the glories of God and what he has done in your life? Yeah. My life has been transformed. I'm not the same guy who fled to go herd sheep in Midian anymore. God has been at work, and He has changed my life. And you might not have a, 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 a story that's completely like that. You may have never murdered anybody. Uh, you may have never had to run off into the desert and live for 40 years. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? The reality of it is, is that you do have a story of your life before you met Jesus. And that is one you can tell to your family. And you can share the good news with them about what God has done in your life. And I think part of the point of this passage is to show us someone doing that and God using that to bring that person to faith. And it's meant to encourage us to do that because God did give us a story to tell. And he expects us to tell it. And God did transform Moses, and he did transform you. And so the responsibility is to share, just like Moses did, in grace, with grace and love, but also truth, what God has done. And how it happened. And how, to, how, to, how you were brought out of bondage into a new life and into covenant with God. All right? Uh, number two... We must raise up leaders. Here at CBC, we must raise up leaders. Now, I'll tell you this. Now, the problems that we have with leadership are nowhere near the scale that Moses was dealing with. Okay? Like I say, if I, if I met with everybody one at a time, eight hours a day, five days a week. I could still get to everybody in five and a half weeks, right, as an individual, as your pastor. Um, You know, it would take me 11 months to have lunch once a day with everybody. But nevertheless, you would still, within a calendar year, get to have lunch with the pastor if that's what you really want, right? You just might have to plan a a ways out, (laughs) all right? One of the problems that, Um, is still true, is that there are no indispensable leaders. I am the preaching pastor of Chili Bible, but my presence here 
is not what creates a church. Amen? It is God's presence here that gives life to the church. It is the Word of God being used by the Spirit of God to transform people into the people of God that creates a church. And there are no indispensable leaders. That being said, we need men to be leaders at Chillicothe Bible Church. And it is time, if you are a man, to embrace the opportunity to be a leader. We feel the strain on our elder board right now. Three lay guys, me, Pastor Stephen takes notes for us. Okay, We are passionately praying for God to raise up men in this church. We are praying for instructed men, for able men, men from across the spectrum of life, God-fearing men, trustworthy men, men of integrity, who will be able to take leadership of maybe a, a small group, maybe a Sunday school class, maybe an Awana group, maybe serve as an Awana director, maybe uh, teach children's Sunday school, maybe serve in youth ministry, uh, maybe serve as a deacon, maybe serve as an elder, maybe serve as a ministry team leader. But we need men. We need men, just like Moses needed men, to whom we can disperse responsibility and authority and leadership for God's people, that God's ministry might be accomplished in His church. Amen? And if you are a man, I am talking to you right now. You're confused about whether or not the Spirit of God might be speaking to you. He is speaking to you, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, right now. We need men. And it is past time for some of you to answer the call. If you're a mature man who meets the qualifications in Timothy, we need some elders. We need some deacons. We need some ministry team leaders and other servants of God. And we need you to say yes. Because as the scripture says, he who desires to be an elder desires a good thing. He who desires to be in leadership desires a good thing. Not for yourself but for the glory of God and the good of His people. Amen? So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we pray in, in thankfulness to You. And we are grateful for this little passage of the Scriptures. We are grateful that You use just ordinary people and ordinary means to accomplish your extraordinary purposes of bringing you glory and us good. That our joy is fulfilled and brought to us as, as we fulfill your plans and purposes. And your glory and our good and our joy are not mutually exclusive. They are, they are one purpose. And Father, we pray that our joy would be complete in our relationship with you that we would see our, our family come to faith in Jesus Christ as we are faithful to share 
And Father, we pray too that, that you would raise up leaders from within your people, from all across the spectrum of life, that they might be able to bless your people with all their gifts. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.